Well, welcome again. Uh, so glad that you are here, and uh, I appreciate being able to share with you about the, the series that starts next week, the readings that actually start on Wednesday. I thought I had a bookmark up here, but I, but I misplaced it. So hopefully you got one of the large bookmarks uh, as you came in today that has the reading plan for the Gospel of Luke uh, beginning on Wednesday and going through the entirety of the Lenten season. If you didn't pick one up, our ushers have one on the way out. Would love for you to join us in that journey. Many of you think about the season of Lent as a time where you could, you know, set something aside, maybe stop eating so much chocolate, whatever it might be. Here's what I want to say to you. You can eat all the chocolate you want. Uh, instead of doing that, join us in reading through the Gospel of Luke. It'll be more significant for you, I promise. And so, again, that begins on Wednesday. Uh, just take that bookmark, stick it in your Bible, uh, and join us uh, in that journey. Uh, you heard me say this is, uh, I, I think, the best super series we've ever done. If you're brand new, a super series is simply those that we not only have messages and first 15 devotionals uh, that coincide together, but we also have video curriculum uh, that we put together. And one of the reasons it's so good, I, I want you to know, is because we have a great staff who works very hard on producing these for you. They are much harder uh, than they look. Uh, they, they have the task of making uh, us look good. And, and I want you to know that's harder than it looks, okay, to make us look good. And, and just so you will have a greater appreciation for what they do to serve you and to bless you and in that process hopefully to, to, to make us look presentable, I, I want to share with you just this quick video that I thought you might enjoy seeing today. Ready to go, Jeremy? You ready? Yeah. Where, what am I doing? Mm. Let's get that brightness. You know, you're selling. Here we go. Quiet on the set. <sighs> Unique New York. Let it roll. Let it roll. Let it roll everywhere. Here we go. Okay. It's going great. We're ready now. Shush. My name is David and I serve as a senior pastor at First Methodist Mansfield, and I'm honored to have honored, honored. Hey, small group leaders. Johnny here, group life pastor, on the set of our grand first two verses of chapter 15. Here is what we read there. Let me go ahead and find it. My hands are really sweaty. Reading with such confidence these words from the prophet. Prophet. <laughs> work, 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 work. In a 40-day journey, Bernie, journey, Bernie, in fulfillment of a promise, 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 <laughs> that you will have the car car carriage, 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 carriage. I felt like around the Abram part when we first got in there that there puff it. <laughs> I say words from time to time. It is important that we realize that this is not a song that the people of Israel, oh, no, it is, to go back. It is important that we realize that this is not a song that the people of Israel have, I did it again. This is a song. It is a song. Nikki thinks that's hilarious. Yes. I'm ready for my oh. Snickers. I said series a bunch, like four times in a row. A lot, of series. A lot yeah. so many series. A series of series. 
puff it. <laughs> and when Jesus finishes, when Jesus... Group leader, Sunday school... <laughs> good job, guys. Good job. I want to tell you about the next series. You're shaking your head over there. Do you know that's a little distracting? I can see you. I'm praying that it is going to be... I'm praying that it's going to be... Be... Make... They're not even, they don't even look alike. They don't even look alike. Okay, puff it. That's what it's nice. Great job. That was, I was pretty good. Did you feel it? That was good. All right, so if you want to see things that are better than that, uh, uh, this is the, the short link to that series, uh, fmcm.org uh, forward slash super series. Uh, if you're a small group leader today, you can pick up uh, your DVD and, and, and group, group leader guide. Uh, but those are also available. Everything is available at this website. So uh, you can do this with your, your, the class that you're in right now, the group you have right now. You can do it on your own. You can do it with your spouse uh, or any group of friends you want to gather with and simply grow in your faith. Everything is available for you right there as we, over the next 40 days, you're going to be reading, hearing, and sharing uh, the story of Jesus uh, through uh, the gospel writer Luke. Today, we're finishing up this series uh, called In the Beginning, uh, based on the first three chapters of Genesis. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you did not bring your Bible with you today, there's a blue Bible in the seat pocket in front of you, and you will find Genesis 3 in that Bible on page 5, page 5 of the blue Bibles uh, that we have provided for you you. Uh, last week, we looked at really the first two chapters and what we discover there in the first two chapters. I shared with you that the reason for this series, uh, the reason I wanted to share it with you is because what you find in Genesis 1 through 3, I would suggest to you is a framework for understanding not only the rest of Genesis and the 65 books that follow, but it's really a framework for understanding what faith in Jesus, what God is doing in the world, what it's all about. Uh, and, and so we're going to come back to that at the very end today. But last week we talked about that in the first two chapters, you meet the three primary characters of the Scriptures. Uh, you are introduced to God, uh, you're introduced to God's children, and you're introduced to God's world. And what you discover in the first two chapters, you can kind of summarize what you find there with this very simple idea that when you, uh, you, you get a sense of who these characters are, but also the summary is that it's all good. At the end of chapter 2, it's all good. There is this harmony uh, between each of these characters. The, the world is working in the way that it was designed to work. Everything is all good at the end of chapter 2. And we finished last week by saying that if you feel a sense of tension between a world that is all good and the world that you and I live in, that we would say, well, it's, it's at least less than good, that that's intentional. You're meant to experience the dissonance there between, the, the gap between a world that is all good and our world that is less than all good. It is meant to remind you that you were actually created not for this world, but for that one. That, that you were created for the world as it once was. It's meant to inspire in you a desire to work for the world, to be more like the world as it once was. And it is also meant to, at the end of chapter 2, to inspire your curiosity to the question of, well, what happened? What exactly went wrong? How did creation 
this, this, this whole world and, and everything in it that, that God brought into being, that God declared as good, how did that get interrupted? How did the world that was all good suddenly become somehow less than good? And that's what we're looking at today as we come to chapter 3. So I'm going to read to you the first 13 verses of chapter 3. We're going to make a couple of notes along the way. But again, we're looking for an understanding of what exactly went wrong. So Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1, let's look what we find there. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, if you weren't here last week, you may have a, a few questions uh, here. You may first wonder, well, where did, what's this tree uh, that the serpent is, is talking about? And, and, and who is the serpent? Where, where did the serpent come from? And, and some of you may be wondering the question, Okay, the serpent's talking. That seems a little bit odd. The, the, the others, you know, you may have read this a thousand times and you're just now realizing yeah, that is kind of strange. The, the serpent is talking. There's lots of questions. But let's begin with the question of this tree. Where, where does that come from? Well, if you go back to chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17, you find this instruction that God gives to the man that he has formed and he has placed into the garden. What he says to the man is, you are free to eat from any tree tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here's the original instruction from God. He's, uh, the man is placed in the garden. He's invited to enjoy the fruits of the garden, except for this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you may wonder to yourself, well, where is the woman? That's who is addressed in chapter 3, verse 1. Where is she in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17? Well, she's nowhere. In fact, it's, chapter, it's verse 18 when we find God finally some, finding something in the world that is not good. It says it is not good for the man to be alone. And so as you continue reading in chapter 2, what you discover is God performs a little minor surgery on the man. He removes the rib. He closes up the wound. And from that bone, he creates woe-man. <laughs> Okay, that's where she enters the scene. So in other words, when this original command is given from God to man, the woman hasn't even been created yet. That's interesting to note. We'll come back to that. But let's talk about the serpent. Where does the serpent come from? Well, this is the first time that the serpent is specifically mentioned. But chapter 3, verse 1, look again what it says. This is uh, an animal that the Lord God had made. You go back to right before this, and in, 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 uh, I'm sorry, right after this in 16, 17, uh, you, you have God forming uh, all of the animals that inhabit the world. And, and this serpent just like everything else that had been created, that had been given the gift of life, including the humans, uh, the, the original man, uh, the woman, everything that has been brought into existence, God created it, God formed it, and God declared it to be good. Even the serpent. Now that may strike you a little bit. You may think, whoa, that sounds a little bit strange. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But, but that's, remember, that's what we find at the end of chapter 2. So if you have a list in your head 
of things that you might suggest to God he'd do differently if he ever starts this whole thing over again. Some of you are thinking, well, the tree needs to be on that list, and maybe the serpent. Maybe we should rethink that uh, creation. Now you have something to add to the list. You can add the serpent to the list, because the serpent starts out as good, and yet we see here the serpent acting in a way that we might say is less than good. Let's, Let's keep reading. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, again, we noted she's not even created yet back at uh, at Genesis 2 verses 16 and 17. And yet she has some knowledge of this. So uh, evidently the, 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 the man has shared this with the woman. But, but also notice she, there, there's a little bit of a, uh, something she misses here. She, she, for some reason she elevates the commandment by saying that she can't, they can't even touch the fruit. Though God doesn't say that in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Uh, but again, she wasn't there. So maybe we have a little bit of grace for that. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's some reason that she's, she's not quite clear on, on what God had originally said. But, but look at what the serpent does in verse 4. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. We might just pause there. If this was a TV show, okay, this is when the camera shot would pan back and forth between the woman as she intently stares at the fruit. And the fruit, as it looks just so beautiful and wonderful. And and this is where, you know, after a few seconds, the voiceover would say, Tune back, come back next week to see if she actually eats the fruit. But, but she does, right? That, that's what happens at the end of verse 6. She, she sees something there. She sees that it's good for food, that it's pleasing to the eye and desirable for wisdom. And so she took some of it and she ate it. This is the moment. This is, this is a dramatic moment where she makes... What, again, even in our most grace-filled way, we would have to say a very poor decision. And she eats from the fruit. And I know what the men in the room are thinking. You're thinking if only her husband would have been there. You know, he's probably off tending to some other part of the garden. If he would have been, I mean, he was the one who heard in the beginning. I mean, he knew exactly what God had said. If only he had been there to help her to, to process this decision. She, she obviously needed it here. And, uh, but, but let's keep reading here in verse 6. Uh, she took some, she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So ladies, if you would, take a pen and underline he was with her. That may come in handy for you some point in the future, okay? There's actually something missing here in this translation because I'm a, I'm a scholar and, and I can, uh, you know, translate Hebrew. There's something that's missing here in verse 6. There's, there, there's, his response is actually not recorded for you there. It's the first time in human history where the husband said, yes, dear. 
Okay, right there. That's, that's where it happened. That's as old as the world. They're both there, okay? They're both there, and they both decide to eat from the fruit, and what is the result of this decision? Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Now, real quick, can I just ask a question? How many of y'all say naked? Three of you. How many of you say naked? <laughs> naked? Our scripture reader at the last service said naked. It, it really threw me for, I say naked, okay? So they realized they are naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Doesn't that make you wonder what that sounds like? It's something they have heard before. They know that God is coming and they, in response, hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid, and he said, God said, who told you that you were naked, or naked, however you choose to say that? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to channel, if you can, you, you place yourself in, uh, in the character of your favorite TV show detective, okay? So some of you are going to be Columbo, all right? Some of you, Matlock. Some of you, you won't admit it to your friends, but you are Angela Lansbury in Murder, She Wrote. That was your favorite TV detective or Law and Order, SVU, CSI. You, you pick one, okay? Uh, we, have sh we have shown up to the scene of the very first sin, okay? And it's our job to figure out what happened. What has gone wrong? What is it that, that, that transpired here that led to this damage? And let's talk first about what the damage is. Let's, let's assess if we can what exactly has happened because of the decision of this man and this woman. Well, well here, beginning in verse 7, here's how we could describe what happened. After they eat the fruit… They saw what they had not seen before. They saw each other in a way that they had not seen each other before. And they saw themselves in a way that they had never seen before. They saw that they were naked. My wife told me last night, my eight-year-old son was in the, uh, in, in the congregation and he was reading his book while I was preaching. And when I said naked, he went, what is dad talking? They saw what they had not seen before. And when you think about this, this idea of being naked, which again for most of us is, or should be for all of us, a little bit uncomfortable, what I want you to think about is this idea where nothing is hidden, where everything about you is revealed, where, where all around you can see everything that you are. They saw what they had not seen before, and because they saw this, they felt what they had not felt before. Now, Genesis 2 gives us a sense of what that was, because in Genesis 2, it says that they were naked and they felt no what? They felt no shame. So, they see it, and they feel what they did not feel before. They feel shame. And so, when they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, they then experienced what they had not experienced before. 
rather than the celebration and anticipation of God's presence, they instead felt afraid for some reason that God would see them as they were seeing themselves. They experienced what they had not experienced before, and so they ended up, they ended up doing what they had not done before. And what is it that we find them doing? Uh, well, the, first they, they, they hid from God. They hid from God. And when God asked them what had happened, what did both of them do? They, they looked for blame. Now, last week we talked about that when you see the picture of a world that is all good, you think, wow, that's not quite the world that I live in. But this one hits a little bit closer to home, doesn't it? This is more like the world that we are used to. I want you to think about this, that this sense of vulnerability, of being exposed, the, the shame that results from it, the fear that they felt, the, the, the desire to hide, and the desire to look for others to blame, all of those things are almost as old as the world. Not quite all the way. But when they enter the picture, when they enter the picture, humanity is no longer able to be what humanity was designed to be. And because humanity does not fulfill its task, our task, all of creation suffers. It's not just a fracture in the relationship between God and God's children. Remember, three main characters. It is also a fracture between God, God's children, and God's world. Because if you don't do what you are called to do, then no one else or nothing else can do what it was called to do. Humanity was called to be the God representatives, those who would shepherd and care for this good and beautiful creation. And because humanity fails, everything begins to fail. That's what you see as you continue to read the rest of chapter 3, that there is a fracture in the entire created order because if we don't do what we are called to do, nothing else and no one else can do what they are called to do. They hid from God and they looked for blame. But still you have the question of why. So again, you're, you're, that, you're that famous detective. You know the damage. You know what's happened. But what are you looking for? You're looking for intent, right? You want to know why. Why did this happen? Why did they eat from the fruit? What was it in their mind that led them to make that decision? Of course, you know from your own life, it's very hard to figure that out, right? I mean, how many times in your own life have you seen yourself doing something dumb? And you thought to yourself, I don't even know why I did that. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it was. But, but if you look here at, at, at verse 4 and 5, I want you to listen again to what the serpent says to the woman that leads her to look at the fruit in a slightly different way. He says, you will not certainly die for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, do you see it yet? If you don't, 
Think about it in this way. What is it that the serpent is saying about God? The serpent is saying that God knows something that you don't know, which that's pretty believable, right? (laughs) Creator of all things, just me. God knows more than I do. That's believable. Nothing wrong with that idea, right? But also that this thing that God knows that you don't know, God doesn't want you to figure it out. Why? Because, well, maybe God's holding out on you. Maybe, maybe there's something that God is holding back because God is trying to protect God's self. Maybe this, this God who you, you think is just this wonderful, amazing creator, maybe, maybe this God is a little bit less than what you think this God is. Maybe this is a God that you can't quite fully trust and believe in. The the danger, the real danger, what leads to the first sin is that the serpent plants in the mind and the heart of the first man and the first woman this question. Does God really love you? So why do they eat from the fruit? Because all relationships run on the currency of trust. And an idea has been introduced into the story. The idea is that maybe, just maybe, you can't trust God like you think you can. Maybe, just maybe, this vulnerability that you feel, maybe you really should be afraid. Because this creator, this, this one that you see in this way, maybe he's, maybe this God is not quite what you think that he is. And so they eat from the fruit and their eyes are opened and they experience the shame and they feel uh, the, uh, and experience the fear and they do what they've never done before. They, they hide from God and then along comes God. The creator of all things. Uh, Remember what we talked about in in, in chapter 1? This is a God who as he creates and brings life into existence, as he shares from God's own self the gift of life, as he breathes into the, the, the pile of dirt that becomes, is animated to become the first man, as he, as he makes the moon and the stars, the lights, the, as he separates the land fr- from the sea, as he does all these things. Remember what we talked about, that this is a God who seems to be enjoying himself. This is a God who we can imagine has a smile on his face. He actually delights in creating things that are good. And then he comes to the garden. And there our first two ancestors are trying to do what we should never do. (laughs) Trying to play hide and seek with God. God never loses sight of any of the things that he has created. And yet in verse 9, God asks this question, where are you? And it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he knows what's happened. And he knows the question that has been planted in their minds that has led them to do what they have never done before. Where are you? God says. And why have you even begun to to question? 
whether or not I really love you. Which brings us back to this list that we have. You know what I'm talking about? Again, the list of things, these are, these are the suggestions that we have come up with that one day when we stand before God, we'll, we'll share our list. God, if you're going to do this all over again, here's a few things. Tree, maybe not a good idea, you know, seemed to go in a wrong direction. You trusted this serpent, but I'm not sure. Thought he was good, turns out he wasn't so good. We sort of have this list, right, of things that we just feel like when we look at this story, we think, well, you know, maybe next time, maybe next time we'll do this in a little bit different way. If you receive our first 15 devotional, you you may have uh, heard this. This is what I wrote on Wednesday as we looked at the tree and why we find the tree there in the garden. Uh, Here's what I shared with you. God has the power to create whatever God wants. And so it stands to reason that God placed each and everything in the garden with a very specific purpose in mind, including this particular tree. I believe the tree stands as a vivid reminder to us that God was not willing to create a world in which we did not have the chance to choose whether to love and serve our Creator or to love and serve ourselves. The presence of the tree represents God's willingness to allow us to do the very things that would break God's heart. Why? Because it also gives us the chance to make a better choice and to choose instead the way of life. Blaming the tree or the serpent or anything else is like me blaming the one who invented Reese's peanut butter cups for my addiction to these sugary treats. And by the way, I don't know what was going on here, but when I came to the office on Wednesday morning after I had read what I had written, sitting on my desk was a Reese's peanut butter cup. So whoever did that, man, That misses the point entirely. The point is that there are two paths that lie ahead, and out of God's great love for me, He has given me the choice between the one that leads to life and the one that leads to my own destruction. I want you to hear this part very, very carefully. At the end of chapter 2, what we discover is a world that God declares to be good. A world and everything in it is declared to be good, which means that humanity has more than just the capacity to do good. Humanity is declared to be good. That is the gift that God gives to you and to me. God has given you that gift. And He's also given you the choice the chance to choose what you will do with that gift. And in every single moment of our life, every decision that we make, every word that comes from our mouths, every thought that enters our minds, we are making decisions. We are making choices about how we will respond to the gift that is God's goodness planted, embedded in each and every one of us. We see a world that is all good, and we know that we live in a world that is less than good. 
but we also see a picture of humanity that is all good, and each and every one of us knows somewhere in our hearts or feels somewhere in our hearts that we are in fact less than good. And that's important to realize. But there is a danger that you would miss the point. And the point is this, that in each and every moment of your life, you have the chance to make a better choice. Today, you have the chance to make a better choice, whatever that may look like in your life. Wherever you have been, whatever you have done, however far you may feel from God, however uh, much work you have done to, to play the game of hiding from God, there is still a God who comes in grace and says, where are you? Not because he can't find you, but because he wants to invite you to see that you have the chance to make a better choice, to choose today the way that leads to life rather than the choice to continue on a path that may lead to your own destruction. Now remember what I said at the beginning, that in the first three chapters of Genesis, you have a framework for understanding where the rest of the Bible is heading and what God is doing still in our world today. You could simplify it in this way, that the rest of the Bible is humanity asking this question. Does God really love me? And the rest of the Bible is God saying over and over and over again, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And so if today you feel yourself caught in that sense of vulnerability, that sense of shame and fear, and you find yourself doing what we all do at times, which is hiding and seeking to blame, I want to remind you that the answer is yes. And that because the answer is yes, you today have the chance to make a better choice. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, today we pause to give thanks that you are in fact a holy and a loving God. We confess to you, Lord, that at times we forget that, and at times we struggle with that. At times, Lord, we do not see ourselves as worthy of that love. And so in fear and shame, we hide and we blame and we perpetuate. We perpetuate the distance that has been created. And so we pray today, Lord, that you would allow us to hear your yes to that question. And that in response to that, Lord, we may also have the courage to make better choices about our lives and about our future. And that, Lord, we would recognize that the chance to do that is right now. It isn't tomorrow. It isn't next week. It isn't next month. We don't need to spend 
a great deal of time preparing ourselves for that right now. Out of your grace and love, you have given us the chance to make a better choice. And so, Lord, would you bless these brothers and sisters, and would you bless me with the courage to follow that path that you say leads to life. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.